We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Biggest storylines from week four. That's what we're talking about today on Stealing Bananas. I'm Ben Gretsch. You can find me on Twitter at Yards Per Gretsch. You can find my Substack at bengretsch.substack.com. With me, as always, is Sean Siegel. You can find all of his work at Rotoviz. And Sean, we're recording a little bit earlier on Sunday today than usual. I want to get back for the big Sunday night football game. Um, so anyone hearing this on Monday, uh, we, we're recording right after the afternoon games. I know you haven't watched every game. I have not even gotten through everything yet. Uh, but yeah, good good to, to have you here. And we got some fun stuff to talk about. We do. I mean, the first wave of games, I think it was the best first wave we've had through four weeks, which is saying something because it, this season has been fantastic. I, today, I mean, one of the things that I do is I record when teams go for it, when they don't go for it. It's been less necessary or uh, just too much because the teams are all going for it now. And so that's created more scoring opportunities has created more fantasy points it's great to see almost all these situations are the right choices when you go for it you can make it or a penalty could be committed we saw that in some key situations today and it benefits your team right so exciting to see that ben you and i were uh, sort of reminiscing slash encouraging or consoling each other uh, in addition to football today there uh, were some baseball notes you were disappointed the seattle mariners where you are from, did not make the playoffs. And the Arizona Diamondbacks managed to win their last two games and blow the number one pick. So <laughs> 52 and 110, and you don't even get the first pick. And baseball today, no fun, but we got to get into the football here. Yeah, definitely. I, I, yeah, I, I've been a Mariners fan since I was a, a kid. I grew up in, in Seattle as a Griffey fan and everything. And so it was kind of fun to watch them this year. But uh, they fell short. It's 20 years in a row now that they've fallen short. And we'll just look ahead to next year, like usual. It was fun to actually, uh, it's kind of weird to actually care about them during football season a little bit, but that is over. So football, it is. We were just talking before we jumped on, uh, kind of talking through a couple little things. We we touched on Justin Fields a little bit. I wanted to talk about him a little, and you said kind of save it for the show. But my thought was like, he, he looked a lot better. He looked good. It also felt a little bit like, I mean, whatever. I've been hard on Matt Nagy. Maybe I'm biased, but it felt a little bit like Nagy almost wanted to make it so that Fields couldn't have too big of a day for you know wh- whatever reason. Because he, you know, then it 
it looks like he made the wrong quarterback decision. He's already under fire and all this. It, Fields got rolling a little bit, made some good throws. You're winning a, a game against an inferior opponent pretty comfortably. And I understand, like, yeah, you can just run the ball, and, and he wants to get his win and everything. But they end up running the ball 39 times against only 17 passes and hardly ever letting Fields use his legs, just like straight handoffs up the middle. Every time he'd make a big throw, they don't let him – like, they don't call a first down throw and let him continue to get into a rhythm. Um, they – he was 11 for 17. I'm going to, I'm going to look for signals. I don't have it written down, but I think a, a decent number of those throws were on like third and, and longer. It was when they were trying, you know, they're going very run, run pass. Right. And that's, that's what we talk about throwing on non-obvious passing downs, throwing on early down, you know, early down pass rate that helps the quarterback's efficiency, like league wide that helps. And so if you want to help Justin Fields have a good game, you would call some more pass plays on first downs, not ask him to make plays for you on third and eight, third and nine, and that's the only times he's really throwing. I just thought it was very interesting to watch this game and see him look really good. He throws for over 200 yards on only 17 passes, really strong yards per attempt. He did throw a pick on a pass that he stared, stared down a little bit, a slant. It gets tipped the line. It goes for an interception. I'm not even just going to be like, oh, it was just a tip. I mean, I think he was staring it down, and I think it was – you know, kind of a rookie play. He didn't look off or anything. And, and part of the reason the tip happened was because of him. But the, the accuracy on his downfield passing was really, really strong today, I thought. And, and anyway, I just thought that was really interesting that even, at, you know, as they had the game controlled, I understand why they continue to just run. They went on to win. But I, you're in a position where you could have just let him stretch his legs a little bit, let him do a little bit more, let him, you know, get an opportunity to really get some rhythm going. And it's almost like he just wanted an excuse to be able to say when Andy Dalton's ready, he can go back to Dalton and, and all these things, which a little bit frustrating, a little bit frustrating. It is. And the main thing there is again, that they don't really let him run. Right. So we're not seeing the benefit that we see from someone like a Jalen hurts. And as a young QB, the more you can do, just sort of similar to what you were being asked to do in college. I think it helps that transition. But we saw the skill today. We saw the talent there with his deep throws. He throws a beautiful deep ball. And not just a deep ball, but some of these, you know, sort of 15 to 20 yard passes that are very difficult for NFL quarterbacks because it's just a difficult pass, right? I mean, you're going to throw it that far on the line to guys who may be somewhat well covered. It's great today for them because they get to go get the Detroit Lions. The Detroit Lions defense is is bad at everything, right? So you can get your running back Montgomery going in. Hopefully he is all right. Obviously left the game late there. Perhaps there'll be news before the show actually releases, but he looked very good until the end of the game. But the real stars were Fields and then Darnell Mooney, who is excellent at getting separation, also made just an incredible highlight reel, one-handed catch, pulls that ball in. Mooney, I mean, it's it's not Tyreek Hill with 200 yards in the first half that we saw last season in the first quarter, but Mooney goes over 90 yards in the first quarter. If they had needed to pass more, they could have. His guys were getting open and he was hitting. Yeah, absolutely. That's the way I felt too. And and you're right. Mooney, Mooney could have been on his way to a huge day. He winds up with 125 yards, only five catches. I say only because if I'm not mistaken, all five of those did come in the first half. To your point, he, he was off to that 100-yard day early. Maybe it was early in the second half that he had another catch. But they really you know, went to their turtle shell and got conservative. And anyway, that's all a pretty bad sign, <laughs> you know, a pretty unfortunate sign that um, when they trailed in, in Fields' first start, they weren't able to adjust very well. And when they led, they weren't willing to, you know, put their foot on the gas at all. They got very, very conservative. Not great for Justin Fields' value. Uh, one of the other games that we 
that I know you you saw that I want to get your thoughts on. Um, is is the Atlanta game and, and particularly Cordero Patterson? He has the three touchdowns. We've talked before that like a lot of his profile looks like a zero running back, you know, league winner almost. Other than the fact that he's a thirty year old kick returner who's never been in a running back position because. Uh, you know, he's always been signed for, you know, decent deals to basically fill teams needs at kick returner. He's never been signed to be a backup running back. And then he's gotten like, I, I was talking to, to somebody who, who said, why did he never get this opportunity before? You know, and it's like, well, because he was always getting these couple million dollar deals to be a kick returner. Teams were signing him specifically for that skill. And, you know, the Patriots were the one team that, you know, thought, oh, we can use him this way. A couple other teams, you know, tried some things, but. I don't think anyone really gave him a very long look at running back in part because the teams signing him weren't teams that needed running backs in, in certain cases. They were teams that, again, they needed kick returners. They were, they were signing him for that. It is really interesting to see today that he gets the uh, split out wide play action deep shot and scores like pure wide receiver play. And then he also gets the split out wide back shoulder fade touchdown, another pure wide receiver play. And so we know he has that in his background. So that's just another element that's like, okay, they're really, you know, willing to use him in different ways, which is very promising. But the the, the very positive stuff are, you know, Matt Ryan's low A dot, the offense going to be trailing and throwing a lot, and, and Patterson's going to play on some of these passing downs where he's been earning a lot of targets, and he's been one of their best playmakers. It's not that surprising to them to see them. This is what we see with good players. Even though his maybe his overall snaps and routes and things haven't been great, they find other ways to use him because, frankly, he's been like the best thing they have going so far this year, a big part of their offense um and, and really just a, a heavy part of their passing game even in the limited role and a huge part of their touchdown potential at this point they're using him heavily in the red zone so i think that's a, a really interesting note for him going forward how where are you at on him well you can't help but be extremely high at this point right i mean not just the running back plays the teams that tried to play him a wide receiver have to be frustrated it took him this long to develop receiving skills because you're right. I mean, so many of the plays in this game where he made big plays were basically purely as a wide receiver. He's get the busted coverage early on that 40-yard touchdown. Isn't exactly the case, but you kind of look at the, the replay and how that develops, and it's almost like uh, Kyle Pitts was being quadruple teamed. This game was close to being a breakout game for Pitts, but then it didn't quite finish. It didn't develop that way. And then you mentioned the touchdown late. I mean, that's just a pure wide receiver play where he's guarded by a slightly smaller player. The throw is right there. You know, he's just the size athleticism combination is difficult to defend. And everybody who kind of gave him a chance to this point is like, yeah, that's what we saw. And it never happened. I mean, Patterson, yeah, just a zero RB star, right? I mean, we see these every year. You go through and look at the, the zero RB list that I put out and the results from that. And I mean, we get these kind of guys. Patterson, you didn't even need to draft him. He's not a guy who was on the list. Uh, you know, even undrafted players, we saw a little bit with that last year with James Robinson, you know, back a little bit before you have Alfred Morris. I mean, you're getting guys who aren't even drafted. When we talk about 20 round drafts who come out and put these points up. You know, you look back to the free agency after week one, and it should have been Patterson instead of Elijah Mitchell, who was getting those 900 bids. So, yeah, it, it's Just great for him. There's people that are wondering how to value him going forward. Obviously, it's confusing. I, the the player that I thought of today that I thought was interesting was Kareem Hunt. Um, in terms of like a, in relation in, in value, you, you had the weird use. You always have weird usage with Kareem Hunt, and and you've talked about him as being this key to the middle rounds and draft season. We've seen that really pan out positively so far this year. 
the big things that work in favor of Kareem Hunt are number one, the team uses the running back. They're going to generate overall team running back points. And that's something that we're seeing in Atlanta. They're throwing to the backs a ton. It's just the team atmosphere that's creating that. And number two, they're willing to use the running backs in the scoring area, right? And so we even saw Mike Davis score today. Patterson scores the other three touchdowns. It's like, I mean, it's got to be up to a really high percentage of their offensive touchdowns now that have been to the running backs. And, and obviously it's because Patterson scored a bunch. But you have these little elements where, like, even though he's in this partial role, when they do have production, he's getting a strong percentage of that. There's not a lot of other guys that are there that are going to do it. Ridley and Pitts haven't really got going. But other than Ridley and Pitts, it's just the backs. There's no one else that's – they're not using Hayden Hurst. They're not using – you know, Lee Smith caught a TD last week. They're not using the an ancillary receivers. Uh, Gage has been hurt, but Gage isn't really a world beater. Olamide Zacchaeus has not really done a whole lot. I mean, there's not a lot else on this offense, right? And so – why wouldn't it be Patterson? It's very similar, I think, in in regards to, to Hunt. I would still obviously have Hunt valued higher, but I, I'm curious what you think of that comparison and, and where you would value Patterson. I think they're similar kind of players in, in how you should think about them for fantasy. Yeah, I agree. That's a good one. I think that Patterson is going to get even a much higher percentage of total team opportunities going forward than Hunt will. Uh, you mentioned that the running backs being so involved. All four of the touchdowns today were caught by the running backs. Now, obviously, that's in part because three or more to Patterson. But Mike Davis does catch the other one. Those guys are going to be involved. That play could have been a Cordero Patterson type of play. Patterson actually looks better purely as a running back too. Uh, before he caught the touchdown and the touchdown was a very nice play. And so, you know, you look at these games and you're like, okay, well, this guy is just sort of washed up or just is not at the talent level to be an impact player. And then they make a play like Davis did on the touchdown where he breaks some tackles. He fights through this Washington defense that's supposed to be good, but really struggled again today. You're like, okay, well, I mean, he can obviously play too, right? Both of these guys can play, but Patterson looks like the guy. The other positive thing today is that so many of the touches were high value touches to the running backs and fewer just sort of kill the clock, kill the drive types of plays. And we talked about the depth of target for Matt Ryan, and he looked a lot better today. Now, the Washington defense has been a huge disappointment, one of the big storylines of the season, really, and how kind of how bad they have been. And yet Ryan looked better. The offensive play calling made a lot more sense. It gave the team a lot more chances. I mean, this is a game where they scored a lot of points, even though, you know, Calvin Ridley couldn't quite come down with things. We talked about last week. The Several 14... chances for Ridley. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, over 14 depth of target last year, below nine coming into the game. I think that he ended up seven for 85. He might have had another catch in there late. Uh, but that's despite the fact that he failed to make three big catches that would have given Ridley a monster game. So a sort of a medium depth target down the sideline. And then... He had a 43-yard catch, which he couldn't quite bring in. And then he had a 38-yard catch that would have gone to the three-yard line that he also couldn't bring in. Now, none of these three were actually drops. They were all challenged where he had the ball in his hands and the defender kind of knocks it away. One of them, he loses as he goes to the ground. The other two kind of knocked away by the defense. But, I mean, they're right there. And it's encouraging that Ryan was on him. It's encouraging that he was able to get open. The depth is encouraging. But then also the fact that he blew those three and still had a decent fantasy game. All of those things have to be encouraging, number one, for his uh, managers, but then also for the overall Atlanta offense. Yeah, absolutely. I, I <laughs> kind of get like 100 times. I'm so excited to talk about this as well. But I, I agree with everything you said. I saw everything the same with, with Ridley. I also have my notes because I was looking to see if I had any notes on those near misses. But I had I had in my notes that he lost an early catch to a hold as well, which was a completed catch, and they, they it got called back by a hold. 
but yeah, the, the promising notes, like you were saying, Matt Ryan looked way better. Like he's looked low key as bad as Ben Roethlisberger so far. He didn't look that way today. He threw some balls down the field that were actually in places where you could see production, which was nice to see. Ben Roethlisberger did not today do that. He, he made he had some misses, but uh, Ryan looked. Uh, I, I thought much, much better for Ridley going forward. You, you mentioned Pitts. I had over four and a half receptions for him on the prop. He had four. He had two on the first drive. He had four by like early in the third quarter, and then he did not catch one the entire rest of the game, and they threw a bunch of passes, and that was really fun. I just need a one more catch. Just one more catch, Cal Pitts. Yeah, he has a, an end zone target that doesn't quite pan out, and then he did have a play late in the game. I thought he looked pretty good, and they've had a, a play late in the game where he didn't really challenge for the ball. Uh, the way that you need to at the NFL level. So we're still kind of waiting on him. I think that if you could buy low, I mean, people who drafted Kyle Pitts are not in any hurry to get out of him, I don't think. But there are going to be some big games for him later. Then we talked about the disappointments for Washington fans today on the baseball side. When we come back to the from the break, we're going to talk about a big play from a former Washington star. Hey everybody, this is Dave Cabin from the RotoViz flagship podcast. Just stopping by to say thank you for listening to RotoViz Radio. We're offering our listeners a special 10% discount when they use the promo code RVRADIO2021 at checkout. Again, that's 10% off a one year subscription when you use the promo code RVRADIO2021. Thanks for listening and keep on tuning in. NFL football is finally back and there's no need to exhaust yourself searching all over the internet to find NFL tickets anymore. Because TickPick, that's T-I-C-K-P-I-C-K, is the original no-fee ticket site and the only one you'll ever need as your go-to for NFL tickets. TickPick got rid of all those awful service fees that other ticket sites charge, which lets them guarantee the best prices on all of their NFL tickets don't believe it? If you can find better prices for the same seats on another ticket site, TickPick will give you 110% of the difference in the purchase price. One of my bucket list items is certainly to head on over and see my Green Bay Packers over in Green Bay at Lambeau Field. I'm super excited to see how this season plays out for the Packers. Whether it's the Packers or any other team that you want to head and get in on the action this season, and attend a game. Whether it's a home game for your favorite team or it's on the road, TickPick has you covered. Visit TickPick.com slash RotoViz today and use the promo code RotoViz to save 10% on your first order. So if you're thinking of going to a game this season, don't wait. Head on over, get those tickets, use the code RotoViz. That is TickPick.com slash RotoViz. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, Ben, we didn't lead with it, but I know that for you, right, the biggest play of the weekend is the 50-plus yard touchdown reception from John Ross. It turns out not a touchdown reception, but a 50-yard catch, a fumble, a fumble recovery for a touchdown, I believe is the way that they ended up ruling it. So I think they left it as a – well, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe you're right on this. It'll be interesting to see. The commentators at one point said they had changed it. It may be something where the commentators were wrong in-game. Yeah, I think they announced it during the game that it stood. The call stood, and I think the initial call was a TD. So that's that's why I'm thinking that. But I, I we're going to give him a touchdown either way. It was a, a fumble. It, it was definitely a fumble, <laughs> and it was a good play on his part, right? I mean, he he just made this 50 yard catch. He's like, I'm not going to get up this touchdown. Yeah, these two defenders are on the ground. I'm going to go sit on that ball. So we like to see him do that. He's got the big time speed. Uh, we joke about John Ross, but obviously the Giants played well. We have the big reception for Saquon Barkley. We have a lot of him. That was exciting for us. Kadarius Tony, a, a big game for him. And I think that this is probably bad for folks who had this great start from Sterling Shepard. It's probably not going to be there as much for him going back. Not that he's not going to still be a good reality player. The Giants offense could end up being pretty fun when Shepard and Darius Slayton, who is an undervalued vertical target, those guys get back. Daniel Jones looks pretty good. Saquon Barkley, I mean, a lot of the game today didn't look great. He had a lot of moves that then didn't go anywhere, but we saw the big touchdown reception. And that's one of the reasons why you draft guys like that, because on any given play, they can put up 12 points for you just like that. Yeah, Saquon had a fantastic day. Um, for those who don't know or remember, all the way back when I was writing at Rotoviz, I wrote uh, enough about John Ross that I titled an article something like, um, yes, I'm writing another piece about John Ross or you know, something like that. It was I, – I was excited about John Ross. It, look, I'll say he's only put 28 NFL games now. This, this guy it feels like he's been around forever, right? But he's had all these injuries. He's not actually been able to stay healthy. 28 NFL games, fewer, you know, less than, than two full seasons. This was his 11th career touchdown. John Ross actually good? Yes. I just want that out there on the record. He would be a great asset in an offense that could actually use a speed receiver to stretch defenses like the way that the Rams went and got Deshaun Jackson. I think Ross is going to stick in the league and do some things at certain points throughout the rest of these, you know, years of his career, which, you know, maybe, maybe aren't that many going forward but did have three catches today 77 yards td none of that's going to matter because like you said slayton's going to come back shepherd's going to come back tony's a bigger part of this team's future they still have galladay this is not the roster for him to be on much like the Bengals weren't which is the perfect thing for me because i can just keep saying i wasn't wrong and, and he would just be good if given the right opportunity john ross superstar i think that's the takeaway here 
So then he and John Ross touchdown scorer. Yes, but speaking That's what of he was in college, scorer, twenty TDs his final season. There you go. The touchdown column we've been rooting for someone to get into throughout his entire career, and now there are twice today. We don't need to go into it in great depth because obviously the listeners get this from us all the time. Uh, the poster boy for stealing bananas is DJ Moore, but we've been looking for touchdowns, two touchdowns today, an incredible amount of variety in terms of how the Panthers deployed him, including coming out of the backfield and then running sort of a normal route on his final touchdown. Then I have in my notes here that in addition to that, he was open for a 61-yard touchdown early and was one of the few really bad passes that Sam Darnold threw. Uh, he was tackled at the one on a different play. So, you know, four touchdowns, right? I mean, it was just, it was right there. Yep. I have uh, both those play action deep shot to, to DJ Moore, had a step. Uh, I even wrote per the broadcast. The broadcast was like, oh, he had a step. That should have been a touchdown. So, look, it's not me. I'm not biased. The broadcast was saying it. Uh, and then I also have the other one, catch out of the backfield, steps out on the one yard line. Another near miss touchdown. Both of those were in my early notes. Uh, obviously, the late notes were that he scored two touchdowns. It was fantastic to see him uh, running those routes out of the backfield, running the, the Christian McCaffrey routes. At the same time, it sort of made sense. We talked about this in the week one show. After the after the very first game on Sunday night, we talked about how they gave him the end around jet motion, how they gave him a bubble screen, how they were trying to get the ball on his hands. They even put him back on a punt return in week one. We were emphasizing this. This is what we talked about in the offseason would unlock DJ Moore, that the team went back and realized they needed to get the ball in his hands in creative ways. This is what teams do when they have players like this. It goes back to the Cordero Patterson thing. And, and that's a way different you know, example. But the Falcons don't have a lot of playmakers. They're making decisions to get the ball in his hands. It's part of the reason we don't just look at the usage and things like that. Sean, you're always talking about sort of the long view and the players. It's one of the biggest things I've learned from you in, in playing with you and in managing teams with you over several years. It's the biggest thing that's changed the way I play fantasy football. I look very much at the, the usage and and the way that we might build projections and all of the like the, the ways that you might think that a role or you know projected volume or all these all these pieces would come together. We don't know what how the team's gonna respond. And the, what we have to do is look for clues sometimes. And that's what we saw with DJ Moore week one. The immediate clues were they're not using him how they did last year. Last year they didn't do that stuff. They're just sending him down the field every play. They did not seem to recognize that he has so many other talents with the ball in his hand. Week one, it was immediately clear that this is going to be different. They they see that that was a mistake last year, and they're making efforts, Even like I said, even with the punt return. It was just pure evidence of what we – I mean, confirmation bias, sure, but like pure evidence also. And then we saw that with Christian McCaffrey out. Talk about chaos. We don't know how those are going to influence you know, different players. No one would have said, I wouldn't even have said, even though I wrote a whole article about situation regression and all the ways that things could be better for more and basically just fantasizing about half these things. Even I could not have projected that, okay, maybe Christian McCaffrey misses some time. And what that means is now DJ Moore is going to run Christian McCaffrey's routes. I would never have said that. I could never have projected that exact specific thing, which is why you don't try to be too specific. Sometimes you understand that there is going to be chaos. And when you have a player this good, and the long view is, is clearly going his direction. When things break certain ways, they're going to break in his direction. And what happened in, in this game and in this case is they decided this week, why don't we just use DJ Moore out of the backfield in the Christian McCaffrey role? And guess what? It got him almost a near TD early. It got him a TD late. Perfect for his skill set, frankly. He also had another touchdown prior to that. 
which was an extended play outside. He's running a normal receiver route. He finds space. Like the, he's good. He's good at football. Um, you actually texted me, you know, DJ Moore is happy. And I was like, you know, while, while we were watching the games, and I was thinking in my head, I was like, yeah, Sean, we talked about this week one. Like the, our, our listeners already know that DJ Moore is happening. <laughs> well, we had DJ Moore as the guy who was going to get the Stefan Diggs jump. The team was going to use him properly. Uh, we try not to be too premature, but um, this is just sort of celebratory in terms of we're having a good time with it. We enjoy having more on the teams. It's obviously good for us from a fantasy perspective. We like to see that panning out. Sam Darnold did make some bad throws today. The Dallas Cowboys defense sort of overwhelmed their line at times. But even with that being the case, and we saw Darnold scramble for a couple of touchdowns, he's showing off his athleticism. He's got the arm. It actually looks like the Panthers may have made the right choice here in terms of going out to get him. They've got to be pretty excited about their future, even losing the game today. Another team that kind of made some adjustments, Ben, from last week when they were pretty well uh, hammered by the media based on their performance, the Philadelphia Eagles, they didn't win today, but they looked a lot better. Jalen Hurts looked pretty good. Now, one of the things going on here, obviously, is the Kansas City Chiefs have sort of a mediocre defense and a defense you know that you have to attack because they're going to score a ton of points themselves. Teams go against them on fourth down almost every single time. And then the Chiefs also have a couple of their key playmakers out, which makes the defense from mediocre to bad. Very attackable when they don't have those guys in there. They go after it today. We've talked about some of the things, UN Stealing Signals, I mentioned it on the show. We have the Monday review tool where you can go in and you can compare weighted opportunity versus air conversion rate. You know, see where there's some guys who are ready to bounce back. One of the players who really stood out in those metrics as someone who was ready for an eruption, and you would expect it to happen against a defense like the Chiefs, was Devontae Smith. He goes over 100 yards today. He makes some very difficult catches. He might have pulled them back into the game and had a huge fantasy line for people if he hadn't made the mistake of just basically running out of balance on his long touchdown. So we get some positives from the Eagles, which they'll hope then to take with them as they go forward. Hurts, they get their running backs involved in the passing game, which is smart, right? I mean, teams that don't run it a lot and lose, you know, you get hammered by the media. They want you to run more. But what we saw today was they got their guys the ball in space, which is better than just running them into the line. And then Smith looked like a guy who should be a top 10 pick. He looked like a star. He looked fantastic. Uh, Hertz looked fantastic. He had the really good week one. Couple, you know, week two, uh, more of a poor fantasy performance. Week three was looking poor, but um, as they, they chased the Cowboys, came back and, and really put together a decent line, which was nice to see and also a reason to be very optimistic about him that, you know, he's going to run and pass when they're trailing and, and that's going to help him have a decent floor at least. Week four comes back with another monster game, and Hertz is looking like he's going to be a pretty clear, you know, smash in fantasy, frankly. So Hertz, Smith, yeah, great, great game for both of them. On the other side, Tyree Kill gets back, you know, into into the flow of things, has an absolutely monster game, the kind of game that we know Tyree Kill can have, but he hadn't had in the last couple of weeks, and erase that doubt about you know teams being able to just sit back in too high and stop Tyree Kill. I thought that was a little bit silly, <laughs> you know, frankly. Uh, certainly the, the Chargers have done that well, but teams have tried to stop Tyreek Hill with every kind of defense possible. It's going to be it's going to be tough to do. And it's going to be tough to take out both guys. Even during that time period where Hill was a little bit down, Travis Kelsey had a couple of big fantasy games. Uh, today, again, shows that you can't take them both away. Uh, Kelsey, sort of his first you know mini bust of the season, but Hill, you know, with the monster performance, the multiple touchdowns there. And 
that happens in a game where they are obviously trying to do some of those same things because Clyde Edwards-Alaire looked like he was running against, you know, a seven, eight man defense. I mean, there, there was nobody there. He gets through the line with ease. You know, he's running in the secondary. There aren't tacklers. So he has a solid game. You mean a seven or eight man whole defense, not a seven or eight man box. You mean the whole defense only has seven or eight players. Right. I mean, that's how, that's how mediocre to bad the, the Eagles looked in that game. Now, uh, you know, good news for him. He looked explosive-ish. I mean, again, mostly it looks like he's running normally, but there just aren't guys there. I mean, he didn't show first-round pick type of athleticism, but he he looks good. He scores a receiving touchdown. That's important. He loses a lot of goal line touches to Williams. And so, you know, the overall profile is not what I had hoped there. I think what you have to hope as a as someone who is starting Edwards Alaire, and obviously if you have him, you're starting him, but just that he continues to get some of these touchdowns because the Chiefs score so much. And then occasionally he'll get a carry in the five yard area. Now, it doesn't necessarily mean because you lost a couple of goal line or uh, you know, green zone, high lever touches in this game that you always will. Uh, Antonio Gibson lost a couple to JD McKissick today, even before he kind of goes out late. McKissick, uh, he's going to always be someone who's difficult to start, but made an, just a fantastic catch and run late, really kind of changed the game for Washington. Then you and I have Terry McLaurin on one team. He was extraordinary today, including kind of coming back and catching this sort of inadvertent Hail Mary where Heineke uh, has his arm hit a little bit. He was, you know, forcing a pass that probably wasn't there. McLaurin made that play. He didn't look good in this game, but he competed, which was exciting to see. And even though he's going to give a lot of mistakes, probably doesn't give them playoff upside. It was fun to see him out there running, you know, attacking with the pass, very big contrast to Kirk Cousins, who had been having a good season through three weeks, but number one played poorly today, and number two didn't really compete very well. The whole Vikings offense looked bad. Justin Jefferson made some huge plays, but Adam Thielen didn't give anything today. Uh, Dalvin Cook missed some time, kind of got banged up in-game. We know going into the game he wasn't 100%, but Madison with a pretty strong game last week, it's just it's tough when you offer – such a stark contrast to the starter, the gap between starter and backup there with the Vikings may be bigger than either team. And I would say that that probably includes the Panthers, Chuba Hubbard today, lost some of those routes that would have given him a really high ceiling, but just carrying the ball kind of flashed. The Vikings now are in real trouble. Yeah, that was a disappointing game. One that had DFS implications ends up being a 14-7 game had a really high over-under, ends up being a really low-scoring game. But we know that both the Vikings and the Browns can can sort of play that way. And so that's – it's interesting. You know, I, I see I see reactions often to one-game samples where, you know, suddenly this team looks way different than they are. But we, we know that the Browns and the Vikings can both put up a lot of points, but we also know that they can have games like this. And so that that happens sometimes. It's football. So, you know, it's one of the things we talk about. There's a lot of different ways that games can play out. And, uh, yeah, that was a not a very good one for fantasy for either team. For me, one of the contrasts is that Mayfield also passed the ball very poorly. He had Beckham open for what would have been approximately a 50-yard touchdown. Uh, there was some rush, and, you know, you kind of go through, back through it in your head, and you're like, well, even if there isn't a pass rush there, I mean, that's almost a 50-yard pass, even though his guy is open. And so to say that he doesn't have the arm strength to make some of these plays maybe is unfair. And yet at the same time, his kind of lack of this combination of arm strength and accuracy was 
on display throughout this game. Now, the contrast, I think, between the Vikings and the Browns is there were a couple of times where Mayfield got out and scrambled and made some plays that kept them in the game. He actually had a key fourth quarter or end of the third quarter scramble where if they hadn't then subsequently committed a penalty when they were going for it on fourth down, they might have been able to keep a guy, a drive alive and kind of put the game away right there. He has that a little bit. Kirk Cousins doesn't. I mean, it's not fair to say about somebody who doesn't really have that as one of their parts of their skill set to say, oh, well, he didn't scramble or fight either. But there's a, a big difference right now between the Browns receivers, even with Beckham back, and what the Vikings have. I mean, the Vikings have this Jefferson Thielen combination. You just can't go out there and get completely and totally stopped on essentially every drive like they did. Jefferson was having his way at times, and it seemed like the plays were not being called to him. Now, some of that is going to be bias, where players that we have on some of our rosters are going to seem open to us maybe more often than other guys. But when you have one player who is getting it done and the rest of the team can't seem to get open, I was disappointed considering just how dominant Jefferson looked that they didn't go to him when they're not scoring any points and they're not moving the ball. Absolutely. And Sean, I have to make one semantical point about Thursday night football, which I, I mentioned to you earlier in the week that I want to talk about, but we don't, we usually record our Friday show prior to the game, but Visca had a, a solid game. He had a 52 yard catch. DJ Chark went out early. There was a lot of conversation that because DJ Chark went out, that changed Visca's role or it unlocked Visca into a downfield role or whatever. The, the downfield target was uh, very nice to see. The semantical point I want to make is it could have happened before Chark was hurt. It could happen any game because it, it happened on a play where they tried to do a play action in the backfield. It was a broken play. Lawrence basically just immediately fled the pocket. It looked like he might try to run because he immediately recognized his running back went to the wrong side that whatever they're trying to do underneath wasn't, wasn't, you know, the communication wasn't there and immediately fled the pocket. I thought he was probably going to run. He sees downfield that, that um, Fisk is open. He chucks downfield. Fisk makes a nice play. All three receivers ran deep routes. It wasn't, you know, Visca suddenly running a deep route because they were, I think sort of clearing out for whatever they were going to do underneath that, that didn't work out. But beyond that, Chenault, you know, somebody pointed out to me, I, I had this little, rant on twitter on on friday and somebody also pointed out he had two deep shots well he did have another one going up the seam out of the slot on the third long that was maybe like a 20 air yard pass that's not much different than what he had already been doing and you know people had been talking about his low ada the point i'm trying to make is not that visca isn't suddenly in a better spot because shark is expected to miss time i think there's plenty of room for him to grow into another role he needs to continue to be efficient and, and then teams change their usage we just talked about this earlier in the show there's room for that to happen later. The point I'm trying to make is there's a lot of people that were really focused on LaVisca Chenault's dot prior and saying he had no value in that role and all of these things about his role prior to week four. And then basically we're saying, well, his role changed. DJ Shark got hurt. Suddenly he got a deep shot and all those things. The reality is you're over, uh, over emphasizing whatever you thought that role was in the first three weeks, more or less. The opportunity and the potential for him to have that long the long reception play that certainly the, he wasn't going to get a lot of chances to make those plays, but that's part of the reason you target good players who can be opportunistic when they get those, those chances. But also there was just a, some, you know, sort of variance with his early season, a dot and a lot of his targets coming very shallow. One thing that happened in this week four game, he got a bubble screen to start the game, which was good to see, but it ends up going down as a run play. Didn't pr bring down his a dot as much. Earlier in the season, he had some other bubble screens that counted as four passes. 
Again, very semantical point, but those forward pass bubble screens had basically zero air yards or negative one or negative two air yards in the past. They were helping to bring down his dot, which is why people were emphasizing at a four, you know, average depth of target. And then in this game, people were saying, well, look, his dot was all the way up at 13. Well, part of that's because the one throw he had behind the line of scrimmage went down as a run in this game. And the other part is he did have the deep shot and everything. But I just thought that was, uh, you know, from a stat perspective, be wary out there. Don't buy it. Like, don't buy in too much, especially with like small sample averages, like average depth of target. Understand like what where these targets are coming from and things. A role is a role in an offense. And a lot of times guys aren't getting downfield targets. I mean, we even did this all last year with like Juju Smith-Schuster. Like eventually he's going to get some intermediate targets and he never really did. But then the playoff game happened and he had a 150-yard game. And you and I talked about this a little bit in the offseason. Even into the offseason, people were emphasizing Juju never had a 100-yard game last year. He's never going to get any downfield targets. But he actually did in the, in the postseason game. He got a few today here in 2021. Um, Debo Samuel's another guy. Like it, it is valuable to understand where these guys' targets go, but Debo's another guy who this year suddenly has started to get some stuff downfield. I mean, they're not locked into into chains in these in these roles that everyone's emphasizing. Those are great points, and and the main thing that I hear you saying there is to be aware of when you might be emphasizing a stat in a way that hurts your understanding of how fantasy works or how change happens. Because one of the things that we knew about his depth of target going into week four was that eventually it has to change unless he gets benched, right? I mean, it's going to go up. It can't sit down there. That's just not where receivers end up. And so you're, you're really still looking at what do you think he is as a player? And we talked a lot during the offseason about who some of his comps were, what his collegiate profile was like, how he finished last season with the Jaguars, and some of the things that he accomplished during that time period when people really weren't watching. And then he has this bad start to the season. Well, the Jaguars as a group had a bad start. Trevor Lawrence had a bad start. It does help that Chark isn't going to be there in terms of the overall volume. But the overall volume was always going to be the real question going forward for him as opposed to the depth of target, right? So when we think about the depth of targets within the context of how many targets guys are getting, we know that more targets at a deeper rate are going to be a little bit more valuable than at a lower one. But it still comes back to you know, is the guy out there, is he being targeted? Can he run after the catch? And is the team making adjustments? And you look at the Jaguars and you've got a new coach, you've got a rookie number one overall pick, you know, how quickly they were going to make adjustments if they actually even have, you know, you you see it in one game against the Bengals, we could go in the wrong way again next week, but you've got to see where the opportunities exist. And we were kind of talking last week when we recorded, you know, before that Thursday night game that these guys were buys. Well, you know, Shark gets hurt. And so obviously not LaVisca pretty clearly. And yet, you know, we still want to be aware of the different directions that could go. If you're buying or starting him, it's based on this idea that he's a good player. You want to use the stats to help you understand what's happening and understand when there are opportunities, like with someone like a Devontae Smith. And again, emphasizing kind of this gap between air yards and air yards converted, there are some opportunities there. But one of the things that we also see is that sometimes those guys who have a big gap, well, what happens is that their target volume, especially at these deep levels, goes down some because teams can't afford to keep doing things that don't work, right? And so we want to be aware of those types of things too. And so I I love the way that you discussed that with Chanel. But the main thing... I I love everything you added to to my little mini rant. The other thing that I would just emphasize is it's a... a, We should have more uncertainty 
in the way we think about these things, right? It's it's the the certainty that gets me, right? That people are so certain about what Visca's role is and what it means and what he can and can't do. You don't know. I promise you, you don't know. Like that that's uh, that's the, that's the biggest thing that like is rankling me about this is like people love other analysts, people in this industry love to say that they know what the role is and this and that and the other thing. And then there's massive confirmation bias if it happens again the next week. There is way too much variance in football. I promise you, promise you have been watching this game a very, very long time. And if you've ever thought anything I've said smart, like this is the, the thing that I believe the strongest. Things change. That is what we talk about constantly. The chaos of an NFL season, all of those things. Roles change. Things evolve. The way teams attack evolve. The way defenses attack them evolve. Everything changes. Don't be certain about the, what a guy's role is. I mean, th that is context. Like you were just saying, it, it can tell us where there's opportunity. Maybe where a guy's limited. Certainly, like sometimes guys are just used the same. It was funny. I was thinking about the, the opposite of this watching the games today. Uh, Robert Tunyon just, I, I was hopeful that he might get more targets this year. And I have him in a couple of little spots. I wasn't like super high on him. But he's basically the exact same thing. Exact same role. He's like this, you know, sporadic seam route runner he could have an efficient week he had a, a you know a couple touchdowns a couple of weeks last week whenever he you know he's already he's already done some things but he's also not getting a ton of targets he's not like the focal point of their passing game he's not going to become the focal point he's basically their seam route guy he's going to be efficient sometimes sometimes he's going to be completely off the stat sheet that's the way they used him last year that's the way they're using him this year he's like the exception where like they, he's just an ancillary piece in an offense where they did they're doing everything the exact way they did last year but for almost everyone else, things evolve. You know what I mean? Like that's, that is, everyone talks like what has happened with Robert Tunyon is going to happen with every single player in the NFL. And it happens with like 5%. And so it just, it drives me nuts that no one learns. You can't be that certain about it. You, you should be uncertain, basically. Is I'm not saying I know the answer. I'm saying you don't. <laughs> not, none of us do, right? And even the talent can look a little bit different week to week. We were riding high last week on how DeAndre Swift looked so electric, making these moves, catching these passes, uh, watching the game today. It was frustrating because Jamal Williams looked a lot better. Swift couldn't get going. He looked pretty uh, just unclear about where his holes were. He didn't have the explosion. You wondered if he actually did get banged up a little bit at some point uh, because he didn't have it today. And, and we think that Swift is one of the best uh, running backs in the NFL. If you just watched week four you'd be like they have no idea what they're talking about so you know it goes a little bit the other direction too on us from time to time it's not always uh, people that are moving in the direction that we want then we have to let you go get to sunday night football i have a few more games i have to watch before that so i don't get some spoilers but we're going to get you out of here the one thing that we do know you can always count on uh we try and make sure we wrap the shows up with it is stefan diggs the number one player in fantasy throw that out there for today's show as well Ah, that'll do it for our... Is he or he is? He is. Oh, okay. He is number one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> that'll do it for today's episode of Stealing Bananas. Had a great time with Ben. As always, you can follow him at Yards Per Gretch. Make sure you sign up for Stealing Signals. We've had a fun time kind of cross-promoting the Stealing Signals tool at Rotoviz this week. If you want to get a discount to that, you can get a 10% off using the code RV Radio 2021 at discount. Uh, leave us a rating and review. We love it. You guys have done a fantastic job with it. Subscribe to the feed. If you haven't, you'll get the show a little bit earlier on Monday mornings than if you're just subscribed to the main feed. And uh, have a good time with the Sunday night show. Hopefully you get what you need in this epic matchup between the Patriots and Tom Brady. And uh, 
by the time you're listening to this, it's going to be Monday morning. So good luck on Monday Night Football, getting those final points you need to win your week four games. We'll see you guys soon. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.